it's good to know this morning, based on Scripture, that there is help for us when we are tempted. I want to start with two questions in this message. Number one, was our Lord actually tempted while he was on earth? You think it's an odd question, but as we get into some of the theology, maybe you'll see it's not such an odd question. Was the Lord actually tempted? Well, the answer is yes, but only in his humanity. Because in his deity, Jesus Christ could not be tempted because God, it's impossible for God to sin. So in his deity, Jesus Christ was not tempted at all. The theologians have a word for Christ's inability to, to sin in his deity, and that's impeccability. Jesus Christ was impeccable in his earthly ministry, could not possibly have sinned in his deity. So the temptations were, which brings us to the second question, since he could not have sinned in his deity, in what sense was our Lord tempted to sin? And the sense in which Jesus was tempted to sin was in his humanity. He was the fusion of deity and humanity, and his humanity, being human, fully man, he was in fact tempted uh, to sin more than once. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, a classic passage that recounts the temptation of Jesus Christ near the outset of his ministry. He came on the banks of the River Jordan out of 30 years of obscurity in Nazareth with his daddy in the carpenter shop. He appeared on the banks of the River Jordan to be inaugurated in ministry by water baptism, and he was baptized, and the uh, Spirit of God descended like a dove at that event and said, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, the voice of the Father from heaven. And right after that uh, crescendo, that, that high point in Jesus Christ's ministry being launched, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted And we're going to see together some things as I read Matthew 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, that's a capital S, Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit was the one who led Jesus from the waters of baptism into the wilderness. And the Greek word which translates in the version I am reading from, tempted, was a Greek word that actually meant tried, tested, proven. We know that God never tempts anyone to sin. God is not the author of any temptation to sin, but God is the author of trials in life that are to prove our faith in God, that are to test us with God's desire that we would pass the test. And so Jesus was Holy Spirit-led into the wilderness to prove his flawless character in the face of satanic temptation. Verse 2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I'll stop, think about that. How hungry would you be by this time tomorrow if you didn't eat anything? 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus had no food by his own choice to draw close to his heavenly father. And after he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. I think that's one of the more understatement verses of the scriptures. He became very hungry. We would say ravenously hungry. Reading verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Satan tempted Jesus to use his divine power to make for himself some food out of rocks. And Jesus Christ could have used his divine power and made boulders into bread. He could have. But it's interesting to note how Jesus answered the adversary. After this first temptation, will you notice that Jesus answered that temptation by stressing his humanity? Not by stressing his deity, Jesus gave a humanity answer to the devil. Verse 4, a quote from a verse in Deuteronomy. If you are the son of God, in verse 3, command these stones to become bread. For, but he answered and said, it is written, scripture, man, humanity, he's addressing humanity, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's interesting that the son of God, who had all of, at his prerogative, all of the divine powers of God set aside the use of those powers to not make bread out of boulders. And he said, man, you and me, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that scripture. Christ didn't use his divine powers to overcome Satan and his temptation because that was what Satan wanted him to do. But what our Lord did is so instructive and so helpful that we can mimic this, we can copy this, we can emulate this. What our Lord did use were two spiritual resources that are still available to all of us this hour. Two spiritual resources that the Lord Jesus used. Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse one, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The first spiritual resource that Jesus used that you and I can still use is the power of the Holy Spirit. The second resource that Jesus used that we as well can use is the power of the Word of God, the power of the Bible, the power of Scripture. Look at verse 4 again, please. But he answered and said, it is written, Scripture, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Let your eye go down to verse 7. Jesus said to him on the on the other hand, it is written, Scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Let your eye go down to verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, Scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three it is written from the book of Deuteronomy in the Pentateuch. Jesus combated the devil in devil's temptations to his humanity with Scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let's read all of the temptation account. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and 
he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Beth and I have been there. The pinnacle of the ancient Jewish temple in Jerusalem is approximately 150 to 200 feet above the base of the Kidron Valley that's full of huge, sharp, rocky boulders. Verse 5 again. Then the devil took him into the holy city and said to him, stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is, it is written, the devil knows scripture. He knows it real well. But he ripped a verse out of the Old Testament, out of its context, as a weapon against Jesus. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. (laughs) Jesus said to him, verse 7, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus combated a verse torn out of its context with a verse in a proper context that says, I don't test my father, and neither should you. Verse 8, again, the devil's relentless. You notice that in your temptations? He's relentless. doesn't give up easy. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you. That wasn't at all a temptation, except the devil could have given him all the earthly kingdoms. You do realize we're not home yet. You do realize that this is not God's kingdom on earth. That's not here yet. Crime and cancer and coronavirus and mistreated children and greed. We're not home yet. And so when when the devil took Jesus up to a vantage point and said, see all the kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you. And he had the right to give them to Jesus. Satan is on a tether. He's on a rope. He can only do so much as God allows, but he can do a lot currently. Verse 8, and the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. That's what Satan wants. Your worship. My worship. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, Scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Of course, there was nothing in the Lord Jesus in his nature that would allow Satan to have a foothold. But Christ's temptations were nonetheless real. Listen to this verse, Jesus speaking of himself to say that he had, as it were, no Velcro in him that could attach to the Velcro of a temptation from Satan. John 14, 30, just before the cross, Jesus speaking, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has nothing in me. There was nothing in Christ's deity that gave, could give Satan a foothold. Because when Jesus came, all temptation by definition is an attack on our will, our chooser. What we decide. 
And Jesus Christ had resolutely, decidedly chosen, decided to do his Father's will and only his Father's will, which brings us to the next verse in your outline, John 6, verse 38, Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus Christ, from the get-go, from eternity past, realized that his Father was sending him to earth on a mission to die for sinners, to pay for our sins with his blood. There was never an iota, a moment, a nanosecond in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry that he wasn't thinking about doing his Father's will. You remember Gethsemane? The long moonlit shadows of that gnarly uh, olive tree garden. Jesus alone, his disciples are snoozing. He's facing in his mind the agonies, the pain, the torture of the cross, and probably the greatest agonies, pains, and tortures of the cross that he'd be temporarily estranged from his heavenly Father for the first time in all of eternity while he bore the vileness and the rebelliousness and the sins of you and me. If it is possible, Father, so far, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, Jesus Christ had the Father's will on his mind constantly. And so we go back to our key verse, Hebrews 2, verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The temptations which the Lord Jesus faced in his humanity were head-on collision temptations. They were temptations according to the three categories of temptation that Satan has always used from Eve in the garden all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, and right up today. The three same categories of temptation Jesus Christ faced head-on in the wilderness. What are those categories? The lust of the flesh? the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three categories of temptation that Satan operates in. Satan's not a creator. He's a counterfeiter. So he's not going to create a new category of temptation. He uses the three that he was given. Allowed. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And facing these temptations, the Lord suffered. But not just in the episode in the wilderness with Satan tempting him, the three ways that Satan tempted. He suffered after those temptations. Although I was born and raised in Canada, I have an allergy to the cold. You think it's funny, but I'm serious. I have an allergy to the cold. And my fingers would get cold before anybody else's. My toes would get cold before anybody else's. And I can remember I'd be playing ball hockey or uh, shinny on the ice hockey, and my friends were not cold, and I got so cold I'd have to go home. And on my way home, I can remember sometimes sleet, rain was blowing by wind into my face. It was like, it was like sandpapering my face. 
My face would get red and swollen. And I would come into the house where there was heat, and it would take a long time for the suffering of the sleet to pass and my fingers to thaw and my toes to thaw because of this allergy to the cold. The Lord Jesus faced the sandpaper of temptation in the wilderness with Satan, bringing it head on, full on. But the suffering that he experienced wasn't just when he faced those three temptations, but afterwards it lingered. The suffering of facing temptation lingered like my reaction to the cold with my allergy. And Jesus Christ faced the full brunt of temptation because he had a temptation presented to him from each of the three categories. Three out of three categories were utilized by the evil one. A hundred percent of the ways that temptation can be framed were used on Jesus. The lust of the flesh, of course, that was make the stones into bread. He was ravenously hungry, and that was a temptation Give in to the lust of your flesh, your stomach's grumbling. Make the stones into bread. You know what that temptation looks like often for you and me? It looks like hedonism, a worldview that says, seek personal pleasure above all else. Just seek personal pleasure above all else. Don't worry about anybody else. Lust of the flesh. Or materialism. You just need a little more. Don't be content with what you have. If you just had a little more, you'd be happier. If you just had something else, you'd be more fulfilled. If you just drove a different car, you'd have a higher status. If you just enrolled in a different private school, you'd be a better person. The lust of the flesh. And that's a category of temptation that's personal. Every single one of us has temptation come to us by the lust of the flesh. Let's go to the second category of temptation, the lust of the eyes. The devil took Jesus Christ to a high vantage point and had him survey all the geographical regions and the cities of the region. And he said, see all these kingdoms of the world? I'll give them all to you if you just worship me. The lust of the eyes is the worldview we might call narcissism. Narcissism is it's all about me. (laughs) It's all about me. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Narcissism. It's all, everything centers around me in this worldview. Don't tell me about your problems. Don't tell me about your worries. Don't tell me about your needs. It's all about me. It's all about me. Narcissism, lust of the eyes. Fascism, the forced, coerced rule and reign of a leader over a subjugated people. See all these world kingdoms? Jesus, I'll give them all to you. You can rule them by force. Maybe our temptation is not at a grandiose level like that, but it's to rule the office where we work. To rule the church where we minister. The lust of the eyes. A universal temptation. Third category that Jesus faced and you're going to face and I face is the pride of life. Satan says, let's have you do a miraculous stunt. And we'll just kind of have a carnival. You get up on the pinnacle of the temple and I'll spread the word that you're going to do a stunt that's going to stop the presses, 
that's going to vault you into public uh, acclaim. Going to get you ahead, Jesus. Just get up on the pinnacle of the temple and, and do a swan dive 200 feet down into the Kidron Valley where the rugged boulders and you watch the angels. They'll just come from God the Father and they'll be your little parachute. And we'll be so impressed. And we'll all follow you. Believe in you. Pride of life. Miraculous stunt. The way that that category shows up for us usually is pragmatism. The means justifies, the end justifies the means. How is this going to turn out for my better interest? Doesn't matter whether it's ethical, doesn't matter whether it's legal, I'm just going to do it if I think it's going to get me ahead in the end. I mean, a person has to be practical, don't they? Or heroism. Satan wanted Jesus to become a national hero by doing a stunt. Satan might give us temptation to be the hero. Get all the credit, all the attention, all the press clippings. These three categories are the categories as old as Eden and as current as today, now. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, verse 16 spells out for us these three categories. And if you go back and do a study in Genesis 3 of how Eve was tempted by Satan, you'll see that all of Satan's temptations to Eve were in the three categories. This is what 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Our verse today Hebrews 2.18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Sermon started with two questions. Number one, was it the Lord actually tempted to sin on earth? We said yes, but only in his humanity, not in his deity. Second question, since he could not have sinned in his deity, what sense was he tempted to sin? We answered in the sense that he was fully man and human. The third and last question in this message, why can our risen Savior help us when we are tempted? There are two reasons in this verse why Jesus Christ can help you when you are tempted. Number one, our Savior is able. And number two, our Savior is willing. Because Jesus Christ is able to help us when we're tempted and willing to help us when we're tempted, we are on solid ground when tempted. Let's talk about him being able. The first part of verse 18 stresses that. For he himself was tempted in that in which he suffered. He is able. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's think about this together. Uh, relative to Jesus Christ, he is God. That means he has power to help us in temptation. He is man. That is, he has understanding of us, of us in our temptation. He is Lord. That is, he deploys believers according to his plan to help us in our temptation. He is victor. That is, that is he has triumph for us in temptation. He is example. That is, he is our inspiration in temptation. He is our intercessor. He has prayer for us when we're tempted. He is advocate, lawyer, attorney. That is, means that he defends us when 
when we are tempted. He is omniscient, knows everything. That means he has the best strategy for us when we are tempted. He is battle-tested in temptation, which means that he is our trailblazer when we ourselves are tempted. He is merciful. That means he is forgiveness for us when we are tempted. He is gracious, therefore he helps us. He is near in the person of the Holy Spirit, in the person of angels, and in the Bible. He's near whenever you are tempted. He is sovereign. He's ruler, king over it all. He has a plan for you before you're tempted, during your temptation, and after your temptation. He has a plan. And because he sees it all, he anticipates. Christ anticipates. So he knows the jogs in the road of your path before you even know there are jogs up ahead on your path. He readies you. He protects you. He makes a way of escape for you in every temptation. And so our Savior is able to help us when we're tempted. But there's more. He is willing. He's willing to help us when we're tempted. Verse 18 again. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I think it's interesting that grammatically it says he himself. It's emphatic. He says this is personal. His help. He comes to the aid of us when we're tempted and we call upon him. He has an urgency to respond to us with all of the resources that are at his disposal to help us in temptation. In the original language of the New Testament, come to the aid is a word that means to run to the cry of a child. To run to the cry of a child. When you call out to Jesus Christ who is able to help you in temptation who is willing to help you in temptation, he will run to you with the resources at his disposal like a parent runs to his or her child when the child is crying for help. I would say probably the vast majority in the sound of my voice are parents. Can you not relate that when your child, young or old, is crying out in pain and need that you're willing to help? Could you not agree that you would be fast acting in your help? And would you not agree that you would give pinpoint help to a crying child of yours? (laughs) You know, we all know our own child's distinct personal cry, right? If three children were crying simultaneously in this sanctuary and the mother of one of them was in the foyer, she would hear her child's cry amid the noise of the other two children crying and be, no, it's my child crying. But it's not just that. As parents, we know the distinct and personal cries of our children, but more than that, we understand our children's distinct type of cries. They cry because they're hungry. You give them food. They cry because they're weary. You give them sleep. A cry because they're fearful, you give them comfort. A cry because they're injured, you give them medical help. A cry because of their disappointment, you give them encouragement. A cry because of emotional pain, you give them hope. A cry because of anger, you calm them down. A cry of selfishness, you give them correction. A cry of helplessness, you give them help. Jesus is able to help you when you're tempted, and Jesus is willing. For since he himself was tempted, 
in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Just in closing now, angels serve us, but they cannot run to our aid. Because angels can serve us only at God's bidding. That's what it said earlier in this book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 14, referring to angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So angels occasionally serve us, but they can't run to our aid. Angels can only serve us at God's bidding, dispatching. Ah, but Jesus Christ, he's so much superior to angels. The Lord Jesus Christ, using every means at his disposal from his Father's right hand, can run to us when we cry, bringing the exact help which we need as tempted and right on time. And so my question for me, and I would suppose it would be for you to make it your question as well, what am I being tempted with currently? And have I called out to Jesus to help me in that temptation? Will you stand with me, please? The scriptures are so relevant. They address where we are at. And today we've seen that we have a high priest in heaven who himself was tempted and suffered because of it. And that he hears us when we call out to him and he runs to us with the means of assistance that are available at his disposal and he helps us. He's able to help us when we're tempted And he's willing to help us when we're tempted. And there is a way of escape tailor-made for each of us in every temptation that we face. We don't have to wonder, is there a way of escape? There is a way of escape for every temptation known to man. In light of these truths, uh, and in light of the fact that each of us will be tempted this week, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit giving verse 18 of chapter 2 in Hebrews. We thank you that it reminds us of Jesus suffering in the face of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Thank you that when the temptations bombard us as Christ's children, he understands it. He cares. He is able to help. And he is willing to help. He discerns our cries. He knows us to be his children. And he knows that for which we cry. Lord, I pray that you would give us all grace this week and beyond to stand up to temptation. Lord, we know that to be tempted is not a sin, but to give in to temptation is the sin. 
So by crying out to Jesus, may we have the necessary way of escape, the necessary strength to be helped, not to give in to any temptation. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your care. I thank you for your plan and purpose for our lives that we would be trophies of your grace to bring honor and glory to your name in all things. What a Savior, what a salvation, what a Heavenly Father, what a Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.